Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. I'd love for y'all to stand right now for the reading of the word as we continue on in our series called Apocalypse through the book of Revelation. Guys, this has been good so far, and it's going to continue to be uh, good. As we dive into the churches now, we're going to be at the church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Yes. Are you guys ready? You guys could sit down. All right. Let's go. <laughs> I love it, man. Book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. A lot of people have been scared about that book. We're like, we're not playing. We're jumping right in. Um, the last two weeks have been great, you guys, and I love the direction that we're doing. I mean, if this wasn't my church and uh, we started this series, this would be my church. I'm just saying. Like, I just love this idea. Um, and, and it's because we're not focused and hung up on the timelines or the events. Here's what we're doing. We're just looking for Jesus. Why? Because verse 1 of chapter 1 says, the revelation of Jesus. So guess what? Jesus is revealed. So, so we're going to play the game, where's Jesus? It's like, where's Waldo, but without the striped sweater? Um, and Jesus might wear a striped sweater. I don't know. Um, so probably. Uh, so the, what we want to do, though, is we want to kind of use keys to unlock symbols. Um, there's Book of Revelation is written in this kind of code. And so what we want to do is we want to use these symbols to unlock. And this, those symbols, the keys for those codes are found in, in the Book of Revelation. They're found in other epistles that were written to New Testament believers. And it's not the only way to interpret the Book of Revelation and look at prophecy. But I'm going to tell you this. This is my firm belief. It is the most immediate way for anybody with, with no experience, no scholarship whatsoever to come at this exciting material and just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And you can do it. You could do it with that, without, without other resources. Just look at the book of Revelation and do what we're doing now. Uh, and what, what we've done the past few weeks, just word by word, line by line, Holy Spirit, speak. 
What does this mean? And sometimes you got to go in and dive in. Okay, I'm going to use the concordance or the internet. And what's, where is this other word found in other passages of scripture to help you? But it's exciting, right? And so we're, we're looking for Jesus. And here's our theme for the entire series. The theme is this. Jesus reigns or Jesus wins, right? That's the overarching. And that's exciting, right? Jesus wins. I'm going to pray. Jesus, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. That's, our, uh, that's where we start every, every, uh, every time. The book that we're reading is a letter. That's where we want to start. We've said that before. This is a letter. This is written from the Apostle John, also known as Disciple John, or, or he called himself, I love this, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was very, uh, you know, he's very humble about it. Oh, I'm just, no big deal. NBD, the one that Jesus loves. Um, so, uh, but I love it because he gets this, he's also now called John the Revelator. We looked at last week about, about what's so special about him in comparison to the other disciples. Um, and so uh, this book is written as a letter to seven groups of people, namely churches. And these churches were in, were in Asia, now what we know as Turkey, which is great because we're coming up on Thanksgiving. That, that's, that's the worst joke I've ever made from the platform. It's awful. I'm sorry. It's, it slipped out. The dad in me just came out for a second. Get thee behind me, dad. All right. Uh, so um, so uh, the, in Turkey, that's where we find these churches. And the, the couple of key words that we want to look at is a lampstand and stars. Lampstand and stars. We looked at last week, we, Scripture interpreted itself and gave us the key. And we learned that lampstand means, does anybody remember that was here Church, yep, right. Lampstand means church, and the stars means angels, and angel literally translates messenger, messenger of God. And so we believe it's very likely that the stars actually equates to the pastor of the church or the leader of that church. So Lampstand's church, uh, stars, is the messenger of the church. So you ready? Let's dive in. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel, messenger, of the church in Ephesus, right. I'm going to stop right there. I told you, we're going to just take a piece at a time. All right. The church of Ephesus. The church. Let's start right there and just say the church is Jesus' idea. There's a lot of hate and haters coming out the church. And I get it. A lot of people have been hurt. The church has made some missteps, and, and we've got some things to atone for. That being said, the church is not plan B. The church was plan A. The church was Jesus' idea. The church is Jesus' love. The church is Jesus' bride. And he is passionate about the church. So let's get that, don't get that twisted. Get that straight. The church is Jesus' idea. It was Jesus' plan to use the church to reconnect a hurting world to the life-giving presence of the living God. So let's, let's start there. Now let's talk about the church of Ephesus. Church of Ephesus. Now think about this. The church is not a building. The church is a what? People. Church is a group of people, right? So, so it was in Ephesus, not a building. It was a group of people. So what do we know about the people? We want to kind of, if we were saying, well, you know, Rivers Church, what's it kind of like? We'd probably start to talk about Phoenix, the type of people that, you know, in Phoenix, the type of work, the type of jobs that some of you have, the type of, of businesses that some of us hold, and those kinds of things, right? So same thing for the church of Ephesus. Remember, these are real people. I mean, we see them in the, kind of in the book, and we just kind of get lost in the, in the fact that, no, these are real people just like you and I. And they had jobs, and they, they went to and from work, and they had things that they were passionate about. So what, 
what was Ephesus like? It was a, a really great place to live and work in. In ancient times, it was a very commercial area because it was a, it was a great seaport. It was also had three main roads that came in and out to the rest of Asia and then thus to the rest of the world, um, the known world at that time. Um, it was a, a big political uh, area and a sports area. Um, if you, if you love sports, it was a great area to live in. It was also a very religious town. Um, they had a lot of, of uh, uh, temples to the goddess Artemis and others. Um, and uh, it was just uh, known as a great place to live and, and work in. These people, again, they had lives, places to go, people to see. But a movement. This is before the church began. A movement was coming to Ephesus that would shake things up for them and for the rest of the planet. That was the movement of Christianity. And so the church actually got started. The gospel was first preached. Is it okay that I go history? Is that right? Because I love history. I'm just like, I'm, it's like the one thing I was good at in high school was like history. And I like, you know, I, love, I was in honors history and I just felt so cool because I like you could, you know, read and write papers. <laughs> so um, I wrote this 80 page paper on, on Geronimo. I, learned, I know so much about Geronimo, ask me. Um, all right, so back to history. Uh, the first person to preach uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus was a man named Apollos. Apollos was a Jewish convert, and he, um, you know what, let's actually read it. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 26. Um, now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. All right, so if you're kind of catching the picture here, here's this guy that's, that's excited about the gospel, doesn't really know the full, the depth and breadth of it, but he knows it has something to do with Jesus. And he heard the teachings of John, and so he's like, hey, the people, we got to repent, we got to do things right, and we got to cling to the Lord, and, and Jesus was a man, and so Aquila and Priscilla, they knew Paul, they were associates of Paul, and they pulled him aside privately and were like, you're doing a great job, here's even more that you should know about Jesus. Um, and so he was like, that's awesome, I'm going to teach that too. And uh, what we do is we fast forward uh, to chapter 19 of Acts, and we see that Paul came to the church of Ephesus a little time later. And the church is already going. It's doing stuff. And so Paul comes in. And he says, hey, hey, guys, uh, church, awesome. That's great. Um, have you guys been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, the, the, the who, but he what now? And uh, so they didn't know. They had never heard about the Holy Spirit. And so he said, they said, we've only heard about the baptism of John. Remember, John said, uh, I baptize with water. But the one's coming after me who baptizes with fire. And so that's the, the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, so Paul taught them about the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and things began to shake upside down. As a matter of fact, uh, I know I'm flying. You guys, you guys with me? As a matter of fact, um, that he, he stayed there for two years. Can you imagine if Paul was kind of your evangelistic pastor for two years in your church? It would get fired up, right? So um, it did. It did to the extent that, <laughs> this is super cool, the local artist community, the craftsmen, the local craftsmen, started losing business. Because get this, if you're a craftsman, especially in ancient times, one of your bread and butter items was false idols. 
man, you sell those all day long because that's how people, you know, that's what they thought they had needed to do. And so they're, you know, crafting these false idols. All of a sudden, business started slowing down and business started drying up. And then they found like they were, uh, they were like uh, idol melting parties. And uh, they were like, what the what? And so let's read it. Is that okay? Uh, Acts 19.23. All right, it says, uh, verse 23 of 19, Acts 19, it says, about that time, <laughs> there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. I love <laughs> this translation reads. No little disturbance. Um, that means it was, a, it was a big disturbance. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who, ma- who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. All right, so you've got, you've got the, the blacksmiths, the silversmiths. You've got the local uh, uh, woodworkers, and all of them are, um, are, are just losing business, right? He says, men, you know that uh, from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, (laughs) saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Oh, that's cool, man. Is there like, he's saying it like, God made with hands are not gods. These are our gods. And it's so great because we see that the church of Ephesus is turning the world upside down, right? They're just so on fire for God, and, and they've, they've made him their God. They're not, they're not looking to other gods. And, there is, and he says, and there is this danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. You can kind of hear him trembling and like, you know, the atrocity, the humanity. Um, and he says, and that she may be even deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. I love that. That's cool history, man. It's great to kind of see. This is where this Ephesus is in full motion now, man. They're loving Jesus. They are discipling their community. And people are getting saved and they're leaving their old lives and following Christ. Right? It's so great. And uh, we see that uh, Paul ends up finishing up his time there um, as an itinerant uh, pastor, and he, he moves on, and he writes a letter back to them, and that's their letter that we have called Ephesians, or the book of Ephesians, we call it. And we see one of the things in this letter that he commends them sometime later is their love. He's like, guys, man, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad to see you rooted and grounded in love, he says. And so uh, that letter commends them, but then we have this now, book of Revelation, is a second letter. And this one, not written by Paul, and in fact, written by John, but addressed directly by Jesus. You see this in verse 1, okay? It says, these are the words, this is Revelation 2.1 now, uh, where we just left off. These are the words of him. Who him? Jesus him. Yep, there's, there's Jesus again. Good job. There's this letter, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Okay, who are the stars? Jesus, right. Uh, this, Jesus is, is holding his hand, and the, and the stars are the messengers, or possibly the pastors, right? So I brought this with me. Um, it's, a, it's a little Lego. Corbin, I borrowed your, your Lego. I'll, I'll bring him back. Um, so uh, 
imagine, I just picture this, Jesus' right hand. This is the hand of blessing, the hand of power. His hand just kind of coming forth, this huge hand that, that holds the world. And in it, there's, I mean, there's you. I just think about this. In those moments when we're just thinking like that, that God is absent and that things are out of control and that God is not sovereign and that the world is in chaos, remember that Jesus still reigns and then his hand is still big. And we are in his hand. I think that's important. Are you with me today? He's, he's, he's got that hand of blessing that, that, that is for us. He hasn't forgotten us. I'm going to set you right here, buddy, okay? Uh, sometimes it can feel like he has. But, but hang tight, guys. God is still at work. Did you know that? He's still at work. He's at work right now. He's, he was at work in, in, in the Old Testament. He was at work in the New Testament. And he's at work right now in Phoenix. And I don't, I'm not at liberty to share all the details of this, but I want to share you something really exciting. You're not going to believe this when I say it, so you're just going to have to wait until I can tell you the full details some other time, but I will. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be able to share the full details, and maybe someone will even be in this room. That's my prayer. Somebody will be in the room. But listen, Rosemary and I had the encounter, and, and you might call it a chance encounter. We'll call it a divine appointment, where, where she in particular uh, crossed paths with someone who was not just knocking on death's door, but was uh, on the way out. Um, been um, brain dead for nine days. October 1st was when uh, she went in and was brain dead. And then on the 10th, they decided, the family decided to pull the plug. And uh, they all said their goodbyes. The kids said their goodbyes. Mom, four kids said their goodbyes and went home to grieve. And she was there at the hospital. You know, Chance encounters are divine encounters, and this girl uh, got prayed for. And I will just tell you the short version of the story is this girl, not, not only is she had brain activity, but I saw her on Thursday at the hospital, and I walked in the room, and she lifted her head, and she said, John Mark? And, I mean, you talk about your spirit, just rise up, man. It's like dry bones <laughs> come alive. Man, God is good. God is a miracle-working God, and he doesn't change. The same God from yesterday, today is still the God for forever. Jesus is alive, and Jesus reigns, and Jesus wins. Death, where is your sting? Come on. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Ah, so he's the God of miracles. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to jump ahead. That's a verse one. I want to jump ahead to verse seven. That's where Tyrone just left off. Um, it says, whoever has ears... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right, so I want to camp on this word victorious for a moment. The Greek word for victorious, of course, this is a letter written in Greek. Um, and uh, this word, Greek word is nikonti. Everybody say niko. Nico, I feel like I'm, I said in the first service, I feel like I'm watching the, my big fat Greek wedding. I love that show. Um, if you've ever seen that movie. But uh, I think that was one of the characters. But Nico um, is the root version um, of, of the word overcome or to have victory. And so we're going to come back to that word later. But it's important because remember, that's our theme. Jesus wins. Jesus is the victor. Jesus reigns. In spite of everything else that you see, in spite of all the things, the chaos, Jesus wins. Jesus reigns. That's the end of the story, right? And it's happening right now behind the scenes. Jesus wins. We'll see that in verse 6 later. But no, no, notice, it, it also says, 
whoever has ears to hear. And what is that? What can we infer from that? Well, we, we all have ears, but then it wouldn't bother saying that, right? So whoever has ears to hear, what does that mean? It means that some people don't. Otherwise, there would be no point for it to be there. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So what does that mean? Um, we're not talking about people who are, you know, firefighters and got their ears burned off, but I think we're talking about some people choose not to hear. It's a choice. Everybody say choice. This is a choice. This is a choice to hear right now. Again, Jesus, I just ask that you would speak in Holy Spirit. May we be good ground. May we hear your word today. So this, this idea here of the choice brings me back to the garden. And the story of God and his relationship with humanity begins with two trees. And there is a, a video that I came across that is just off the charts creative. Some, some artists did something that you're going to absolutely lose your brain over. So check this out. that's where we find the tree of life. So what's this tree all about? Well, it represents God's own life and creative power that is made available to others. In fact, God's first command is that humans eat from all of the trees, including this one. So you're ingesting God's own life. That sounds intense. Yeah, this meal transforms the one who eats it. Or in the words of the story, it leads to eternal life. Okay, but on the way to the tree of life, the humans have to pass by another tree called the tree of knowing good and bad. And God says that eating from this tree will kill you. How does it do that? Well, it represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. And when humans do that... It leads to broken relationships, violence, and death. And so here's the thing. Both trees look beautiful, but one of them is a false tree of life. And the humans take from this false tree of life. And they're exiled from the garden for good. Which raises the question, can anyone ever get back to the tree of life? Well, later on in the story, we meet a man named Moses, and he encounters God in a desert tree on top of a mountain. Oh, you mean the burning bush, where Moses is told that he's standing on holy ground. Yeah, it's a plant on a mountain radiating with God's life and power, just like the tree of life. And God tells Moses, bring your people up to this mountain so we can form a partnership. And this partnership will force them to make a choice. Will they follow gods of their own making or receive life from the true God? And in this story, they give their allegiance to an idol. And it's just the first of many. The story goes on to show generation after generation choosing gods of their own making. And these idols were usually placed on tall hills like beautiful trees. But they're false trees of life that lead the people into self-destruction, exile, and death. It's like death's grip on us is too strong to resist. Is there any hope? Well, let's turn now to the story of Jesus. He came to announce that God's eternal life was available once again through him. So Jesus thinks of himself as the tree of life. Yes, this is what he meant when he claimed to be the vine that brings God's life into the world. 
And Jesus invited people to eat from him. Yeah, he was inviting people to trust him and be transformed by his life. But Jesus also exposed how corrupt humans are, how much they love false trees of life. And so Jesus presented people with a new choice between life or death. And this time, they don't just choose death. They also chose to attack the one who sustains all of life. Yes, Jesus is led up to the top of a hill where he dies upon a tree. The cross is the sad and violent result of humanity's desire to do what is good in our own eyes. The tree of life has been overcome by the power of death. Well, it seemed that way. But Jesus said that he was a seed of God's life that would die in the ground, but then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. So to defeat death, Jesus went through it. And now this new tree of life stands before us all. We can eat from it, but it will mean passing through death like Jesus, allowing our old way of being human to die. So that a new humanity can grow in its place. Yes, Jesus said he is the vine and we are his branches. So not only do you eat from this tree, you're invited to become a part of it, helping produce its fruit so that his life and love can spread through us to others. And so the story of the Bible ends in a new garden which is also a kind of temple, with the tree of life at its center, providing healing and life forever to all who choose to eat from it. Mm. Mm. Man, that is the best thing you will see all day. That's so good. And there it is in, in verse 7. It says, I will give the right to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. And, and again, the choice is this. Which tree will we eat from? Because the second tree is this counterfeit tree of life, which really, at this, the, the God there, the counterfeit God, is, is not capital G, but little g, me, you. We're our own God in that, in that story, with that tree. And that's what we see playing out. In, in, from that, I love that because that's like the story, uh, God's story of humanity from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And here we are in the book of Revelation, and we have this choice. When Jesus came, he said, I'm the true vine. Which, what does that tell us? If he's the true vine, he says that in John 15. What does that tell us? True vine, what, is, what else is there? There's a false vine. And so uh, what we have to ask ourselves is, is what are we, which vine are we abiding in? Jesus said, abide in me, and I in you. You abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, he says. And so uh, where are we abiding? Where are we living? Where are we rooted and grounded in? And Jesus invites us to eat from him. So we get that choice again. You with me so far? All right, so this is where we find ourselves as the church here in Phoenix, Rivers Church, and it's, it's where we find ourselves as the American church. We have the choice. Choice between two trees. The choice between two kingdoms, right? And he knows what we're up against. He says this in, in verse, uh, well, let's pick it up in verse 2. Jesus says, and again, this is the words of Jesus to a church. And we're a church, so man, we want to pay attention, right? He says, I know your deeds. Let's stop right there. I know your deeds. So remember, Jesus sees, he knows. He knows what we're up against. And what we'll see in every letter to each of these seven churches is this kind of pattern. We'll see it more clearly in some than in others. But there's this pattern of, First, there is a commendation. Jesus saying, good job. I like what you're doing here. 
And then there is some correction that follows. It's like, okay, but you really need to work. This is, you need to be corrected on this. And then after the correction is some counsel that's like, and here's how you need to do it. And finally, what I would call is the crown, which is, and here's the promise. Here's what's awaiting you. Here's what's awaiting you. I like to say one of the, I love that our theme is Jesus wins and Jesus reigns. And I think if there were to be another simple uh, theme of Revelation, it's this. Hold on. Hold on. Don't quit. Don't give up. And that's good. That's good to remember, too, in the light of current days. I printed this out. I didn't show this in first service, but uh, when Rosemary was uh, going to school, um, I printed out some kind of what I thought were inspirational things. And this one was one that probably was more inspirational for me. But it says, hey, warrior, keep going. Um, and I thought, uh, you know, that's kind of this. I, you see this guy that's, that's fighting, but then he's also kneeling in prayer. And I thought, uh, this is sort of what, what we see happening here, uh, where Jesus is saying, um, I know your deeds. And then he says here, in, in, uh, immediately following it in verse 2, he says, your hard work and your perseverance. Um, let's sum it up this way. You're doing good. Everybody say, doing good. Doing good, Jesus is saying. Doing good. And then he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. So you're doing good. And the next thing I would say is that you're fighting lies. Everybody say, fighting lies. Fighting lies. All right. Just kind of helps us to digest it. Speaking out loud, repetition helps you to, to get it down in. All right. So doing good. You're fighting lies. So far, so good, right? He says in verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So I'd say it this way. You're staying true. Staying true. So Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm walking among you. I see you. And then in verse 4, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So Jesus said, I see you, you're, you're doing good. You're fighting lies, you're staying true, but you're forsaking love. You're forsaking love. This is the whole reason that the book of uh, the, the, this letter is written to the Ephesians church. It's for this moment right here. He says, you, you're doing good stuff here, but you're forsaking love, and that, that is the deal breaker. Understand, because Otherwise, this would have been written differently. What we, what we start to hear after this is that there is a rebuke and even a warning um, if, they, if they don't course correct and do it quickly. And you're going, yeah, but, but they're, they're, they're doing good. They're fighting lies. They're, they're staying true. But they have forsaken their first love. Let's talk about first love. Jesus seems to think it's really important. So let's talk about that. If you've been in love, let's talk about first love. I mean, there's a gazillion songs about it. Um, what is it? It's, it's, it's characterized by a, a period of, of just intensity, right? Excitement. Um, there is uh, elaborate uh, and, and, and unending sometimes conversations like, you know, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Remember, you remember those? Okay. Um, Thoughts of that person just kind of dominating throughout the day. Sometimes you lose focus and just kind of, you know, huh. Um, 
they, uh, they dominate uh, sometimes conversations, maybe even annoyingly so, with friends and family. They just, that person just comes up, you know, and we know, we know, we know, okay? And uh, maybe guys, especially for guys, you start investing that hard in cash a little bit differently. Like, you know, McDonald's just isn't going to cut it now. That uh, them opera tickets are expensive. Um, and uh, you with me? So that's first, first love. So I remember, I remember when I, I first uh, met this girl right here. Um, and... Uh, I, I met her on a July weekend in, uh, I believe it was 1996. She can, she can keep me straight if I'm wrong. But, um, uh, man, fast forward, and, uh, well, I, I got her picture. She gave me her picture. And I was like, no, this is, this is my wife. This is my wife right here. Uh, not this picture, because that would have been weird, right? I got like a, a, a wallet-sized version. <laughs> Just, there you go. <laughs> not this one. But this exact picture in a smaller version, and I had it in, uh, in my wallet. And I, you know, I was shameless, man. You guys, I was shameless. I, in first service, I just left this up, like, for way too long. And Rosemary texted me, and she was like, take the picture down. Um, so, <laughs> um, but man, you know, I just would, I would love to brag on her. You know, I've, I, in all honesty, um, I would say, uh, man, I, I've, at, at periods of time, man, I, I have just lost some of that passion and some of the things that I've, I've strayed from the things that I, I once did. But one thing, one thing for sure that's never changed is, man, if, if I've met you for, and we've talked for more than five minutes uh, I, if upon first meeting, I told you about my wife um, because I love to, to introduce my wife to people. I just, I just, I, I love uh, Rosemary and I'm, 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 I, I'm passionate about that relationship and I want to, you know, be a better husband and do better at regaining that, that passion and that first love. And I'm working it. I'm doing the work. Rosemary, if Rosemary's here, I know she would say that you're doing it, you're doing it. So, um, uh, but this, the thing that happens in, in marriage, though, and as it happens spiritually speaking, is that um, those things can change and the, the feelings can change. And before long, you see, well, we know what it looks like in marriage, right? Because 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's a sad moment. Maybe if you're here today and you're struggling in this area, first of all, I want to I just I want to encourage you because don't give up hope because God does miracles in marriages, man. I'm, I'll tell you that right now. I'm, a, I'm an answer to that. God does miracles. But but listen, um, there there's this thing that happens where we we just I would just say it this way, man. We get stupid. We lose sight of the things that matter most, the things that are most important. And it goes from, well, when, when Rosemary and I, when I would say it this way, um, when we were first dating and I was like, man, I want to ask her to marry me. My, my father-in-law is right back here. So uh, how, how surreal is this? But I was thinking, man, I'm going to have to go talk to her dad. <laughs> and man, I was terrified. I was like, oh, Lord. I'm going to have to ask him, and, it, and I invited him uh, over, and it was like, you know, so awkward, but um, asked him to, for his daughter's hand in marriage, and then it was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, I want to make sure she says yes, and so I had, um, the, the short version of the story is a fancy restaurant. I had six of my friends in tuxedos. We had roses. I just brought this rose as kind of a symbol. Uh, I got a lot of uh, object illustrations here today, but this, uh, this rose symbolizing that kind of love. It's a thing that you, you give to someone just to say, um, 
you know, this, this is not someone you, a rose that you just hand to, you know, a friend uh, every day, but this is something that symbolizes love usually, right? You're important to me, you're, you're valuable to me. And so, I um, mean, we had roses and uh, my friends where I wrote some four-part harmony and they were singing a Billy Joel song because Rosemary loves Billy Joel. And so uh, they were ooing and aahing like, you know, um, boys to men style stuff. And then we sang, uh, <laughs> we sing, she's got a way about her. I don't know what it is, but I know that I can't live without her. She's got a way of pleasing. I don't know what it is, but there doesn't have to be a reason anyway. And then, um, you know, the restaurant kind of got silent and I'd worked everything out with the management ahead of time. We picked out the table, me and my best friend, and we're like, can you please do something really awesome for us? And we had to go to like five different places in the valley before somebody would say, yes, you can have the grand piano. We'll turn the house lights down. We'll turn the music off. Like they were like, this sounds sick, let's do it. And it was, it was a lot of work on my part. Getting the guys, one of, my, one of my friends called me like two hours before and he's like, I can't find my pants. And I'm like, this is not my problem. Get pants, get there. Like, you know, it was, a, I'm telling you, uh, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of work. Um, and, uh, but you know, you make investments like this is the point. When you're this first love, maybe you might, you're just like, man, this is important to me. This person is important to me. And then the song switches from Billy Joel to, <laughs> at some point, um, you've lost that love and feeling. You guys know that one? Whoa, that love and feeling. Sing it with me. You've lost that love and feeling now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, that was it. That was good. Good job, guys. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Little lighthearted moment, uh, even on a somber tone, because here's the sad truth, that it happens. It happens in marriage, and because marriage is symbolic of the church, remember, the church is described as the bride of Christ. Guess what? It happens in the church too. So here we are, book of Ephesus. Jesus says, you've lost that love and feeling. What does it look like when it happens in church? We, we know what it looks like in marriage. What, what does it look like in church? Um, it's where life starts to become all about you and self-advancement instead of advancing the kingdom of God. When we find ourselves too busy um, to be inconvenienced for Jesus. And I, I, I said this in first service, I remember um, <laughs> uh, that when Rosemary and I were dating early on, I was kind of thinking, it's kind of a long way to drive. I remember thinking something like that. And I got a check. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I remember Rosemary saying something about one of her aunts being like, mm? like an eyebrow when it was kind of like, wait, you had to drive? Whatever. And, and I was thinking, remember thinking like, oh, I got to up my game. Like this is, uh, this is like the white people way of doing things. I got to like go in and I got to, I got to show up. I got to treat her special. And so I kind of was like, no, I'll drive. I'll drive. And I, we were living, I was living in uh, Payson for six months and I would drive from Payson all the way down to the valley every weekend and drive down and then drive back up. Well, why? Because was it an inconvenience? Yeah. Was it an expenditure? Yeah. But guess what it was? Love. So you just do what you do, man. 
And, uh, but in the church, what happens? We just don't want to be inconvenienced for those hour. That's real, right? I know, ouch. And this is, I convict myself as I say these things, by the way. Um, maybe we don't tithe because um, that money is designated elsewhere. I do, that's not as important as other things. Maybe we don't witness. We don't share our, our love for Jesus. We, we don't talk to people about we did what we did on Sunday or, or our, our passion uh, for Christ and the, the church because we don't want people to think we're fanatical. Maybe, I would say it this way, we're willing to do anything and give our time, give of our energy, give of our money to anything other than Jesus. That's what it looks like. Whatever that thing is that you're passionate about, whatever that thing is that matters to you, you know? And then you have this check, like, wait a minute, has Jesus been replaced? Have I lost my first love? What causes this to happen? Um, well, just a simple analogy is that love is like a fire. We've heard that said, right? The, 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 the fires of, of love. Love is like a fire. What do you need to do with a fire, campfire? If you, if you don't tend it, what happens? It dies naturally, right? It doesn't naturally just, you know, stay lit. You've got to keep it, you've got to keep it burning. You've got to carefully tend to it, and so it is with our love for Christ and for others. We've got, we've got to tend to it. So thankfully, Jesus gives us right here in Scripture, in this letter to the Ephesians, we get three practical steps on how to restoke the flame. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. We need it, because here's the good news. If we're being honest, have you ever felt like you've lost that feeling? Well, the truth is, all of us here in this room, unless you got saved in the parking lot, on the way in, you've probably felt that way before, right? Because that love that just needs to be tended to. So let's look at our, our, our uh, three steps. And Jesus gives them to us in verse five. You ready? Okay, here we go. Consider how far you have fallen. Remember, this is Jesus talking. Jesus, the one who holds the stars in his hand, the one who flung the stars into orbit and set the planets in their solar system. And here he says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. There's our three steps. So step one is remember. Everybody say remember. Remember where you were. Remember where you were. You know, and Jesus says, remember how far you have fallen. And when I think of that, language right there I do I am reminded of another time that Jesus talked about some talked about someone who had fallen and he was talking about Lucifer and he said I saw Lucifer fall from heaven and I think about the fact that Jesus remembers a time and has recollection of a time when Lucifer was the bright and shining morning star of heaven he was just right right there with God and kind of saying it to the Ephesians, and I think that they probably would have even caught that reference because some of the same words are used there. He said, if, if Lucifer can fall, the, the worship leader, if he could fall, how much you? Look at how far you have fallen. So here's my question to you, and this is kind of sobering, but let's do it. Let's do it together. Do you remember when you went from being lost to being saved? Do you remember? 
You know, couples, maybe they have that song that was meaningful to them. And maybe you have a song that was meaningful to you in the spiritual realm. Rosemary tells me a story. She remembers when, man, as an adult, when she really gave her life to Christ. She was in Yuma. And uh, <laughs> I said at first service, so John, forgive me, but I said, I guess God does show up in Yuma. Um, so <laughs> um, it's not my favorite town, I suppose. Uh, the drive. It's the drive that kills me to Yuma. I just, it bores me. Anyways, so, but she said that she was at a, a, a community church there in Yuma, and she, she went in, and um, they were playing that song. As the deer panteth for. The water, so my soul longeth after thee. And she was just like, that's it. That's what I want. I want the Lord. My soul, that's, that's what my soul longs for. That's what my soul is crying out for. I can feel it right now. And, and that was the moment that she really gave her life to Christ as, as a young adult and started to, uh, to let Christ shape her and mold her and just begin to get dis- discipled. And uh, maybe you have a, a time like that for you. Um, do you remember the intensity of the love that you had for Jesus as the first time that, that you realized that what he did on the cross was for you? I was six years old. Dad was preaching. It was on my birthday, December 30th. My dad was preaching. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't expect to get choked up. But I remember thinking, uh, I was I, mean, I was six, so what could I have done? Stolen cookies. But um, I remember thinking, that's it. Baby Jesus. He was in the manger. He grew up. And he died for me. We had those old wooden pews down at the front. Anybody remember those? Man, I went down there, knelt, cried out. You remember? And uh, maybe it moved you to serve him. Maybe it moved you to know him, uh, to spend time with him in the word. You just couldn't get enough of the word. Um, you wanted to be around other believers. Maybe you skipped meals just to, to spend time in the presence of God. Um, and uh, at church, maybe you sing your guts out, man. You're just like, that song came on, and you're just like, yes, that's my, song. That's my jam right there. And you just, you know, in the car, maybe, you'd just be singing in the car. And you didn't care. Maybe you, you raised your hands um, the first time. You thought, man, this is weird. This is weird. I don't care anymore, you know? And uh, maybe you wept in times of prayer and worship, maybe. And, and you love to talk about Jesus to your friends, um, do you remember where you were? So that's step one. Remember, step two, Jesus says, is to repent. Everybody say repent. And this is a, still a word for the 21st century church, right? Repent. Here's what repent, r- repenting means. It means remembering enough that I want to hang a 180 and go back. Sometimes, the most logical way to go forward is to go back. Because if you've gone the wrong way and you keep going, you, you, you're, you're not progressing, right? So to, to progress, you've got you've to go backwards to where you were. That's a word for somebody today. Um, repent. 
Repent. And repentance sounds like this. Uh, These words pop up in your mind and maybe out of your mouth. I was wrong. I was wrong. Maybe, Maybe I was so, so, so wrong. I was wrong. And if you've been talking with someone and you're not sure kind of where they're at in their spiritual walk, and, and those words really won't come out of their mouth, that's a good indication that they're just not there yet. You know, they're, 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 they're pre-follower of Christ. Maybe they're investigating, but, but once we remember where we were, or, or for the first time we realize where we are, it's time to repent, right? I was wrong. And what this repentance is, is a change of mind and a change of heart that turns into a change of action, which leads us to number three. Um, do. Do what you did. Do what you did at first. And, and I, in first, first service, I said I should have had another R word, so we came up with it together. Uh, remember, repent, and um, I said, respond. Respond how you did it first. Um, respond how you did it first. True love, it, re- it always involves action, right? Agape is the Greek word there for this for this word that they forsook. They forsook love. Um, and that word is agape. And it always involves action. It's not a feeling. Agape is not a feeling. That's, that is phileo. But agape is the Greek word that involves sacrificial love. It's where, it's, it's where everything's on the line. And you do whatever it takes. Um, now at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, um, okay, do what you did at first, but I don't feel the way I did. And I, I appreciate that. I think that's a, um, either you saying it now or saying it in your heart, I think that's an honest statement. And it's cool to just, you know, get it out there and, and not pretend. But also, notice this, that Jesus doesn't say um, to, uh, to feel, to, to work up a feeling. He doesn't say that. Doesn't say do what you feel. He says, do what you did at first. It's not about what you're feeling. The good news is this that the, if your body gets involved, your feelings eventually will follow. That's the great news, right? And, I, and this, it's not in my notes, but I'm in first service, it, it came to my mind. Uh, if, you, if you guys heard of Corey Tin Boom, you better remember the story of Corey Tin Boom. If you haven't, go check her out, guys. A really inspiring woman. Holocaust survivor, and um, has some diaries that she wrote, much like Anne Frank, if you're familiar with her, and so, but she was a passionate believer, and the story goes that she um, was at a, a meeting, a gathering, and she had delivered the, the message, and afterwards, a man came up, and she instantly recognized the face, yes, it was, as one of the guards, or one of the camps, can you imagine? This individual was responsible for the worst moments of her nightmares. And he stands before her, and I don't know what he said. I, I don't remember, so you can look it up. I don't want to make it up. But, but she knew that she had to forgive, right? She's, she's a believer in Jesus. She knew that she had to forgive, but literally she did not know if she could because I get it right? Could you? And it was kind of like this, like, I have to forgive. I have to forgive. I have to forgive. She stuck that hand out as she put her hand 
in his, the love of Christ, just washed over her. And instantly, she loved him like he was her brother. Now that's the supernatural love of God that just follows obedience, you guys. And obedience is so key in anything that we do in the Christian life. You know, feelings will lie to us. Our heart is fickle. And uh, it, it's, Proverbs says that, that, it, that it, the heart will lie to you above all things. Um, don't, don't trust your heart. That's the song, but not, not scripture. Don't trust your heart. Your heart is going to lead you astray. Trust Jesus, though. Trust the Spirit of God. And so um, we, Jesus says here, he says, um, uh, remember. He says, repent. And then he says, do what you did at first. And at this point here, you still with me? You guys with me? We're wrapping up. Okay, so at this point, there in verse 5, he says, if you do not repent, I will come to you. It's going to be next, Jesus. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And it's a sobering reminder that Jesus is actually the sovereign ruler of the entire universe. And he is not Mr. Everything's Okay. Nah, it's all good. It's all good. Now, Jesus, you know, every, every relationship has boundaries. A healthy relationship has boundaries. And so Jesus has said, you guys, this is a boundary here. You're doing good. Now remember, why? Why, Jesus? Why, why the enforcement of this boundary? Because what were they, okay, were they, were they not doing good things? No, they were doing good things. Were they not standing up against lies? No, they were doing that. Good job, guys, fighting those lies. Were they not staying faithful? Were they not staying true? No, they were doing all of that. That's why this word is a word for the American church. And it's a word for rivers. Guys, we want to pay attention to this because remember, he who has what? Ears. That means some of us, we're going to tune out right now. We're going to pat ourselves on the back and we're going to say, good job. But we want to make sure that we're good ground and that we're listening and we're saying, man, and, and, and what do I need to do? How do I need to adjust? And Jesus says, look, here's a warning. Um, love is not an option. Love is not optional. Loving me is not optional. Loving, period, is not optional. It's either love or I'm going to remove the lampstand. So how are you doing? How are you doing? Mm. Mm. Sober. And remember, and, and you know, right now in our culture, let me just say this, for American church, truth is so, it's, it's you know, truth versus lies. It's such a, a hot topic right now, right? Jesus don't care. I'm going to be honest with you. If, if I can just put a finer point on it, he cares about your relationship with him. That's what he cares about. So whatever else is on a Facebook feed, he literally does not care. Relatively speaking, does not care. Look at, they, right there it is in the Ephesians church. They're fighting lies. What were they fighting? They were fighting the lies of the Nicolaitans. And you can see that in verse 6. He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Wow, hate's a strong word. In, in some houses, you're not allowed to use the word hate. <laughs> when you're a little kid, you get in trouble, right? But like, you said what now? You're not allowed to say hate. You do not hate your brother. Take it back. Go to your room. Um, so, but Jesus says, now notice, he doesn't say, I hate the Nicolaitans. But he does say, I hate 
the practices, the deeds. I hate what they are doing, right? Well, what were they doing? We don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans, but what we do know, a couple things we do know. One is their name. Nicolaitans means that they were following uh, the practices of someone that was teaching them uh, named Nicholas. Remember earlier on we said Nico means what? Does anybody remember? Victor, right? The victor. Uh, so, so Nico means uh, overcome or, or the victor, and Leos means the people. So Nicholas literally translates in Greek to overcome the people. And I feel like that this is kind of a... Uh, a pendulum moment. You get to choose which side you want. Do you want to be like the Nicolaitans, or do you want to be like uh, the the Greek word Nico? I don't have it in my notes here. Nico, shoot, where is it? Um, Nikonti, Nikonti. Which one do you want, Nicolaitans or Nikonti? Because Nikonti presses in that Jesus is the overcomer. I'm going to lean into him, and I'm going to choose him, and I'm going to choose the tree of life, and I'm going to look to him, or I'm going to just try to do everything myself. Which one, is my, which one am I going to be? How am I going to overcome? And I think in this, in today, in, as I kind of wrap it up here, in today's day and age, it's so important that if you find yourselves wrapped up in and focused on a person or a people, and you're fighting against a person or a people, you, a warning light, ding, 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 you, you, where's your first love? Where's your first love? And also, where's the lampstand? Is that already being taken down? That's, that's the warning here. Um, that Jesus is the overcomer. We look to him. And when we look to him, we inherit his victory. Jesus said in, uh, in John chapter 16, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Listen, Jesus says, look, you hate that stuff. That's good. That's good that you hate. I hate that too. That's good. But remember this. Remember this. I say it this way. Hating lies is good. Loving God and loving God's people, that's best. Loving God and loving people is best. And that's where we camp. And that's where we put all our energy and all our focus. Another way of saying it is this. When our hate for bad outweighs our love for God, then our lampstand is in in jeopardy of being taken away. Love is a fire and it has to be carefully tended to. Love is also a body of water. And what's the difference between a stagnant body of water and a fresh body of water? Well, a stagnant body of water has no inflow and no outgo. Or maybe only an inflow and no outgo. But a fresh body of water has both an inflow and an outgo. And that's what we need in our life. That's what love looks like, right? Love looks like that inflow and that outgo. And that's why the way we treat people matters. And that's why discipleship is so important in the body of Christ. We have to disciple because it's part of the love. It's part of fueling the fires of love. Are you with me? Verse 7 says, again, Jesus speaking, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. There's the connection restored. First Adam blew it, but through second Adam, Jesus, we have a new tree of life, and he invites us to come and to eat. It's good news, friends. Do you have ears to hear, 
today. Let's skip ahead to Revelations 22, because here's the end of the book. Would you stand with me as we read this? Let's just look at it together. Let's actually say it out loud. Revelations 22. If you put that up on the screen. Let's read it together. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and to eat the fruit from the tree of life. I'll tell you, no matter where you're at today, that's good news. And you know what? You know what's a good day to, to do? Today is a good day to wash your robes. Jesus said, come, let your sins be like scarlet. I will make them white as snow. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's watching and waiting. Waiting for you, for me. Come home. He's longing for you. You know, listen, Jesus has never lost his passion for you. He loves you today, and he is as passionate about you today as the day he made you, and he's, he's as passionate about a relationship with you as he was when he hung on the cross and he gave his last breath for you. Romans 5, 8 says that he showed his love for us. The cross was like this rose, man. He showed his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Hmm. So the question is this, have you, uh, have you slipped away from where you were once in your love? Can you remember? Maybe in the, in the sovereignty of this moment and the sacredness of this moment, you, the Spirit starts to bring things back to your memory. Maybe just close your eyes for a moment and think. Allow the Holy Spirit to do His, his work. Are you, are you doing a better job of, be honest here, are you doing a better job of hating some things than you are loving? How you doing there? It all boils down to this. This question for both the sinners and for the saints. And if you're listening online, you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and uh, you're here in the room. God bless you for, for your uh, attendance today and your, your attention on the word today. I pray that you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to you because you're part of the church. Here's the question. How will you respond to being passionately pursued by Jesus? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.